Did you know that the Our Urban Voices podcast is an outreach ministry of the Heart for Muslims Conference? Our vision is to promote love for Muslims and eliminate the fear of Islam. Join us this year on Saturday, November 5th at Trinity Baptist Church in Manhattan, New York. We will be focusing on the power of proximity, how your location, culture, and shared experiences can bring Christ to Muslims. Hear from Muslim ministry practitioners and connect with like-minded Christians. Find all the details at heartformuslims.com. You are listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javed, a podcast that presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Here is your host. In this podcast, we cover everything from churches and church planting efforts, mission and missions organization evangelism, and unreached people groups, emerging movements and initiatives, justice, current events related to faith, and the persecuted church, too author interviews, and more. Let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to our Urban Voices. I'm your host, Dr. Alphonse Javed. Today I'm joined by Adam Motasib, who is the founding pastor of Redemption City Church in Baltimore, Maryland. Our topic today focuses on church planting in a very urban context, that of Baltimore, Maryland. We will also talk about having a network of uh, ministry leaders to rely on and supporting new Muslim believers. Adam grew up in a Muslim family, but was uh, radically converted to faith in Christ as a teenager. He and his wife have three children, uh, three boys, actually. They shared a vision for supporting a movement of church planters or plants in Baltimore. Thanks for joining us today, Adam. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So I love families. So I have uh, four children and uh, our audience knows that most of those who are regular listeners, they know that I have four children, five, four, and my twins just turned two, my two girls. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your family. Yeah, well, you and I are both in the, in the thick of it. I have okay. three boys all under six. Five, oh, three, and one. Yeah, so I'm surprised we have time to do this podcast right now. Yeah, <laughs> and energy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a blast, man. I love my boys. My oldest just started kindergarten, and it's yeah. just been so fun. Oh man, that's awesome! Actually, this morning I was talking to my wife. I said, "Do I have stretched myself too thin?" <laughs> because it's like as as you said uh children she has to take the boys were dropped off at the school then i was with the girls and then at the same time i was preparing for this but before that i was doing my office work so I, i've been up since i don't know like man 5 30 ish or something like that yeah, so okay. i i totally understand but it's a blessing to have families and raise them to start off i'm sure you get a, get asked to share your story a lot but would you mind filling us in on how you became a Christian growing up in a Muslim family. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my dad is from Palestine okay. and 
Uh, that's where you get this Aladdin complexion from. I'm this Middle Eastern. People, you mean beautiful you know, complexion? Exactly. Yes, the caramel, caramel sweetness that is Arabian color. Right. Uh, people, you know, when they see me, they they have no idea what ethnicity I am. They, I get Indian. I get Mexican. I get white. Arabian uh, is what I am. My dad immigrated to Jordan. He moved. Then he immigrated to the U.S. in his twenties, and he married my mom, who's white. So I'm half Palestinian, half white. And uh, my mom was not religious at all. My dad was a follower of Islam. So mm -hmm. on Fridays, I went to the mosque with him. And I began to follow the five pillars of Islam, trying to earn my way to heaven. Mm -hmm. Typical Muslim kid. Mm -hmm. And uh, prayed five times a day, fasted during Ramadan, uh, gave to the poor, all the, all the things you got to do. And my mom and dad divorced because uh, my, da my dad got really in into Islam. My mom was not all about it. And that led to... I missed a bunch of other things that led to their divorce. My mom started going to church with her boyfriend, her new boyfriend, a few years later. I heard the gospel. Never heard a message like that before. Like, you're telling me God did all the work for me, and he loves me as I am right now. I don't have to earn it. Mm. That blew my mind and uh, started this journey of following Jesus. Man, that's that's always a, you know, it's, it's a, not only a blessing, it's just joyful every time I hear I get like this goosebump, like just this one, one phrase. Oh, God did everything for me. I don't have to do anything, which, you know, you're, you're talking about grace. Mm -hmm. So I, I love that. Do you still have a good relationship with your family or um, in this case with your dad too? Yeah. I talked to him yesterday for like oh, yeah? 20 minutes. Yeah. So, I mean, it's very complicated. You know, you guys probably know how it is with uh, Islamic fathers who yeah. have rebellious sons and daughters. Right. Uh, my dad, no joke, he told me the worst thing you could be is gay. The second wow. worst thing you could be is a pastor. <laughs> and I was like, well, dad, I know some people who try to be both. And so <laughs> yeah. I'm just one. Uh, and um, he didn't talk to me. Well, I didn't see him for 10 years from when I was 13 years old to when I was about 23 years old. I he he left the U.S. right around uh, when 9-11 happened. Just there yeah. was a lot of animosity towards uh, Middle Eastern folks at that time. And he wanted yeah. his kids growing up in that. So he told me, you're a bad son and um, I'm leaving. Wow. And I, he got back to the U.S. when I was about 23. And he said, yeah, you're still a bad son. Wow. But, you know, the grace of Jesus enables me to forgive those who have wronged me. If I've been forgiven so much, how can I not forgive him? Yeah. So I just had a posture of, I, I still love you, Dad. And I know I'm not the son you, you hoped for, but I'm the son you got, and <laughs> I'm here. And, um, you know, it's pretty crazy to see just, so I, I'm all in on Jesus, all in on the scriptures. And he's, he's seen me care for the refugee in Baltimore City. Mm -hmm. He's seen me love people. He's heard me preach. And he's yeah. like, I don't agree with your lifestyle, but I, I see God in you, son. Wow. He said things like that to me before, and he's come to our services. And one time you heard me preach and he said, Adam, you're going to make a lot of money one day. <laughs> I was like, dad, that's not how this works, man. Um, so long story short, we have a great relationship. He's not a Christian. Yeah. I'm not a Muslim, but yeah. we love each other. And I'm praying, praying, praying. And I, I would encourage everyone listening. Pray for Sufyan, my dad, yeah. that he would believe the gospel. So what were, what, what were some of the crucial resources that supported you after your conversion? Well, I, you know, I, I, got, 
I heard the gospel at a kids ministry at a church. So someone actually gave me and my mom the Jesus film. Okay. And that was really helpful because hmm. I got to see like the person of Jesus in video and, and a lot of the stories of, of the gospels uh, alive. So hmm. that was a, a really helpful resource to somebody coming from a di- outside of Christian culture. Right. I don't know. It's had enormous impact on a lot of people. Uh, youth group, like a youth ministry was because then I had Christian friends to walk yeah. with me because I lost my dad when I became a Christian. So having a, the local church, that was essential. Yeah. Um, those are the two main things, man. Youth group and um, Jesus film in my Bible. There you go, my man. Keep it simple, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you and your wife, Sherry, share a vision for church planting in uh, Baltimore. What brought you in uh, to Baltimore, actually? Well, I knew I wanted to plant a church right when I was about 20 or so years old. I read the book of Acts and I saw, man, there's church planting everywhere. I just figured that's what Christians do is they plant churches. So I went on like an eight-year journey from 20 years old to 28 years old to prepare to plant a church. And I went to seminary. I got trained by one of the best church planters ever, in my opinion, Dr. Tony Morita. And um, uh, we, my wife and I just wrote down like 20 cities on a list and said, where do we go? And uh, a lot of long story, but short version is our hearts broke for Baltimore city. We saw the population to church disparity. We saw the uh, income inequality. We saw the refugee crisis. We saw the violence. We just saw a city in need of redemption. And when I look at the scriptures, specifically Philippians chapter two, I see a Jesus who went into a mess, not avoided a mess. Yeah. Yeah. And so Baltimore, we were like, man, there's any church in America that needs a church that's healthy, thriving, plenty of other churches. It's Baltimore. Mm. So that's why we went there. Wow. Why is it uh, so important for your wife to be on board when you are planting churches? Uh, Well, we're one, the Bible says. So however she feels is how I feel in a sense. And we're a team. Yeah. And I'm supposed to be committed to her like Christ is committed to the church. So my first ministry is to her, not to the church. Yeah. Or, or I should have had I should have had her with you together. Yeah. That okay. Been I great. can hear like how teamwork, you know, as husband and wife together. Yeah. Well, but please continue. We continue. are hundred percent a team. And down to like, how do you practice hospitality? Which is right. like a it's a commandment in the Bible. It's and it's the model in Acts church planning. I got people in your home and your wife is like, I don't want to do this. It's, it's kind of yeah. makes it kind of hard. Right. Uh, church planning. There's a lot of overworking involved. Correct. And you need a wife that's on board with that. So I, I would hundred percent say, if you want to plan a church, but your wife is not on board, then God does not want you to plan a church. Wait till she's on board with you in that. Uh, and in his sovereignty, he can make that happen. And if he doesn't, then I don't think he wants you to plan. Yeah. And how has your um, Muslim background informed your pastoring of a church plant? You know, that's a great question. So I grew up going to the mosque. And if you've ever been to a mosque, you know, it's the least flashiest thing in the world. It is the most simple, bare bones. Like you, you walk in, you take your shoes off and you pray for like 30 minutes. Men yeah. with men, women with women. You know, the, the guy reads the Quran, the, the imam, like and then you have a meal and it is the furthest thing from seeker sensitive or even especially seeker driven 
And you get into the Christian church planning world and you find that a lot of church plants are willing to do anything. This is a quote, anything short of sin to reach people for Jesus, right? And um, in my experience, I, I see a lot of church plants trying to win the world with the world. Great music, iPad giveaways, guest speakers, uh, and incredible venues. But if, from my experience, Islam, the fastest growing religion in the world, has no bells and whistles. Right. It has nothing flashy. It has the Quran. It has a still dead prophet and his message of work your way to heaven. We have a better message. Jesus has accomplished the work for us. And he, and a person who wants to know us and love us and walk with us, we don't need Hillsong United, though they're great. Thank you, God, for Hillsong United. We don't need a flashy venue or iPad giveaways or bells and whistles. We have Jesus. So why don't we just preach Jesus in a way that connects with people far from him? And that's what grows a church. And so I've just been shocked in Baltimore City, which is a post-Christian city, with churches that have come and died, countless churches that have come and died. You just open up a room, open up a Bible, preach the gospel in a way that connects with lost people. And we have hundreds and hundreds of people coming. We have church plants that are coming out of our church. The Bible works, man. The gospel works. Amen. So that's that's what I've learned. Yeah. So uh, repeat the quote again, anything short of sin? Take a sip. I've heard, yeah, I've heard a lot of guys say, I'll do anything short of sin to reach people for Christ, which I love the sentiment, right? We want to seek out and save the lost like Jesus did, right? But Jesus didn't run out the Roman Colosseum. He had a crowd in front of him and said, eat my body, drink my blood. Mm-hmm. Anybody wants to come, come. Yeah. You know what I mean? Follow my cross. You know, carry your cross. If you yeah. want to follow me, carry your cross. All kind of rich young ruler, sell all your stuff. Right. Don't bury your mom and dad. Follow yeah. me. If you want to lose your life, you will gain it. If you gain your life, you lose it. It's like all kind of like difficult stuff, not iPads. Yeah. Stuff. And if it's if a hard message with with no bells and whistles is working for Islam around the world, why do we not think a better message, the gospel, won't work in America? That's amazing, man. That's a really good thought. Same thing with Hinduism too. When you go to those uh, shrines, uh, temples, there is nothing other than same same idea. Just uh, leave your shoes out. Most of the time they get stolen too. And then you have a fight <laughs> outside the temple. People are fighting like, what happened to my shoes? But the point is they just walk into those uh, rooms. There is not even like carpet or anything. And they just sit down on the floor, which is just simple floor. And they do their thing. But you're right. So you are part of the Acts 29 movement. Can you explain more about what it is briefly? Sure. Acts 29 is a play on the book of Acts. You know, Acts has 28 chapters. Uh, Acts 29 is like the next chapter of the church. And really, we're a family of churches that work together to plant other churches. A lot of pastors need brotherhood. They need uh, guys that they can... Uh, work alongside and encourage and be encouraged by, be challenged by. So Acts 29 is really just a family of church plants that help each other plant more churches. Has it helped you as a church planter to have a network of ministry leader to rely on? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, when you're struggling, which every job you have struggles, but particularly in church planning, there's a lot of struggles. So having other guys in your region or nationally or even globally that you can go to to support you, encourage you, Conferences where you can come here, good gospel-centered 
content, be encouraged to go back to your context. Um, uh, they, they have a great assessment process that will help you assess whether you're ready to be a church planner. Um, they just do everything they can to help your church succeed and thrive. So Adam, what are some of the unique challenges to church planting in Baltimore, which is, which is very much an urban center? Wow. Well, we could spend the whole podcast on the challenges of Baltimore. Um, Maybe we will one day. Yeah, we'll bring you back and just talk about that. Uh, you know, the first two months I lived in my house, there was a, a murder 10 feet from my my house. Wow. That's a challenge. Uh, one day I was walking to work and there was a dead body next to our church building. Um, so that's challenging. Uh, I was there when that family found their brother dead next to our church building. And I, I was, comf- I had, you know, meetings planned that entire day, but my, my morning was comforting that family. Wow. So it's a challenge, but it's what a blessing, right? Like I get to be there. I get to be used by God to speak the gospel in that family, that death is not the end. So with every challenge is an amazing opportunity. Um, I think another challenge along with, you know, just the, the trauma and, and the, the loss of life and the, the poverty challenges of Baltimore, there's the transients. We live in a, the fastest growing neighborhood in Baltimore City called Canton, mm. and people move in and out like crazy. Mm. And it can be really hard to develop really close friendships and to build a church when you have a moving congregation. Yeah. Not many people move to Baltimore to live here for the rest of their life. Not many people move to Baltimore to raise their kids here. They move here to get their uh, to do the residency or to do a fellowship, or uh, they're they're from Ghana and they come here for a few years and they move back. That's usually what people in Baltimore look like. So it's a, it creates an incredible opportunity. Like I said, like most challenges create an opportunity. We're able to send so many people out as missionaries to their next place. Go to your next place, ready to bring the gospel and to support a church wherever you're going. And we want to plant a lot of churches since people are leaving. So those are some of the major challenges, but we try and turn them into opportunities. Yeah. So two things there. One, I want to hear a little more about this this deaths you're talking about. Are you talking about people just dying natural death or are you talking about violence? And then the other question is toward the end, you said uh, next mission next thing mission thing so what is this next mission thing you're talking about when you're sending sure, people sure. to the next so let's let's deal with the uh, first part i want to hear i didn't want to interrupt you but i want to hear both those things yeah so um baltimore per capita has a lot of murders i think it's the second most in the u.s oh man and that the the murder there was the, the death 10 feet from my house was a murder somebody walked into a barber shop which is right next to our house and murdered the uh one of the uh stylists the barbershop guys and ran away um so that's that's uh, sadly common in baltimore um i've seen fights have broken up fights that were dangerous with guns out um so yeah the second body next to our church building that was a natural death i believe it was an addiction that resulted in that in that man lying dead on the street so there's uh, there there are drugs, and then there are those who are giving drugs and probably getting into those fights, or mm-hmm. rather, you know, um, oh, that's sad, man. And but at the same time, what a what an amazing place to minister, be be Jesus to them, 
somehow share their love and grace. But at the same time, having that courage uh, to raise a family next door with little babies. So may the Lord bless you, man. So the doesn't second, that, go on. Doesn't that, doesn't that give us an incredible opportunity to teach our kids about the person of Jesus? I think it's more dangerous to raise your kids in a safe place, in a bubble where they never see brokenness and they're hidden from it. And then they enter the world and experience brokenness and they run away. I'd rather them see it growing up and see how Jesus would respond to it. Yeah. Wow. So tell me about the next uh, field, next thing. You, you said sure. the next mission. What is so that our, vision, our vision as a church is not to just put a bunch of people in a room, though we do have a bunch of people in a room on Sunday mornings. Uh-huh. Our vision is to be a church planning movement. We want to plant churches around the world. So we want to raise people up and send them out to unreached people groups, that don't know have access to the gospel, right? Into other cities around the world. So this year we're we're sending uh, one of our residents, David Whistle, that we trained in house, right? And he's going to go plant in Japan, which is the second most unreached people group in the world. And he raised his own support. And he and his wife are giving their life away to reach Japan with the gospel. Another one of the guys we we've raised, um, Orlando, is going to uh, plant in Towson, which is a suburb outside Baltimore. So uh, our goal is to send as many people as we can uh, to places around the world with uh, to plant churches. That's good, man. So what's the main uh, takeaway you want to leave uh, listeners with? Um, I would say that the gospel still works. It worked in this young Muslim kid's life. Yeah, I heard it and it changed me and it grew me. And then I planted a church in Baltimore City, which is, you know, as secular as you can get, as lost as, and hard as you can get. And you know what? The gospel still worked. We got 300 people coming every Sunday. We're wow. planting churches. Yeah. Uh, we're preaching the Bible and God is doing work. And so if you wonder, if is the gospel enough? And does it work? It does. It worked in my life. It works in our church's life. And I think it will work in yours, too. Amen. Anything else you want to add to this conversation? No, just thank you for the work you're doing and and uh, blessed to hear a lot of uh, urban minority minority voices. and uh, There needs to be more of that. Amen, man. Adam, if a listener wants to get in touch with you, what are the easiest ways? You can go to our website, rccbaltimore.org. You'll find uh, my sermons there. You, um, you can also see my emails on there. You can contact me that way. That's awesome. And we will make sure that we include that in the episode's description as well. Um, And for the last thing, because we talk about heavy topics and you just talked to us about the context in which you are serving the Lord in Baltimore. um, So heavy topics, right? So I like to ask you to tell a joke joke to the listeners. I just want to make sure that they understand that we also laugh and we are human. (laughs) We talk. That's right. Yeah. But there's no way I would be prepared for this if I did not have a kindergartner. My kindergartner, <laughs> my five-year-old, comes home with a joke every day. And actually, he came home with a joke two days ago that I actually laughed at. Uh, and I'm going to share it with you right now. Okay. He said, why can't you give Elsa a balloon? Why? Because she'll let it go. Wow, that is funny. <laughs> <laughs> you have to see Frozen to get that one. But <laughs> I got it. I got it. Now I'm going to hear that with my, probably he knows. If it doesn't, my older son loves jokes. Thank you so much for being uh, on the show. Again, that was uh, Adam from uh, from 
Redemption City Church in Baltimore. And thank you to all our listeners. You are, you are all truly what makes this episode, this podcast. If you have learned anything or have been inspired at all today, please be sure to subscribe to the show and leave an honest review wherever you listen to your podcast. Consider sharing this episode with a friend. Tune in next week for more honest discussions from diverse voices. You've been listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javed, which presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Please check back for new episodes every week.